NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Mylock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down the careers of former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about former NFL left tackle Joe Jacoby and whether or not he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and joining us in just a moment to discuss Jacoby's career and Hall of Fame candidacy are the hosts of the podcast, Bigger Than the Game, Dermy and Jose. But before Dermy and Jose come on the podcast, let's talk a little more about Joe Jacoby. So Jacoby played in the NFL from 1981 to 1993 and played all those seasons in Washington. He was one of the first big left tackles in the NFL. He's six foot seven, 305 pounds, but he actually was an undrafted player who again rose to prominence in Washington on those Joe Gibbs Super Bowl teams. He was a four-time Pro Bowler and a two-time AP First Team All-Pro. He won three Super Bowls in Washington during his time in the NFL and also had one touchdown, a fumble recovery, which again, we don't have any stats to talk about for left tackle, so I want to throw that out there. He started 19 playoff games during his career and was voted to the all-decade second team in the 1980s at tackle for by both the Pro Football Hall of Fame as well as Pro Football Reference. So he made both all-decade teams. He was a second teamer on both, but still, all-decade teams for both Pro Football Reference and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So we have a great show for you today. It's the first time I've really had two guests, uh, and Dermy and Jose do not disappoint at all. So with the quick facts out of the way, let's bring them on. All right. So today we are we are making history. Um, two guests today joining me to talk about former NFL left tackle Joe Jacoby are the hosts of the podcast Bigger Than the Game, Dermy and Jose. Dermy, Jose, thanks for being a part of history. How are you guys both doing? Jim, doing, doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having us all, man. Pumped. Yeah, we're really excited. Really excited. Of course. So again, as I said, first time with two people, as we were just discussing before we went live here, going to try to dish around to both of you, but please um, jump in when you need to and, and cut me off when I need to. I want to give everyone the love here. And I mean, an extra person, that's a lot, but I think, you know, if we're going to do it for anyone, Joe Jacoby deserves an extra person to talk about him. So Real quick, before we go to our first segment here, Joe Jacoby, of course, played in the NFL, mainly at left tackle from 1981 to 1993, all with Washington. Um, he, of course, was has not been elected to the Hall of Fame as of today. He was a semi-finalist for the senior committee this year. But when they released the finalist list, he was not one of the finalist nominees. So it'll at least be another year before he can get in but i think he has a very stellar resume it'll be very interesting to see what Dermy and what jose and i think about him so Dermy jose you've listened to the show before you know what my first segment here is i'm going to ask you both here when you think of joe jacoby what's the first thing that comes to your mind i think about the hogs and i think about those great teams with joe gibbs and you know great 80s football battling between those niners teams all all in the nfc the niners the Giants, those Bears, and that Washington team. And those other teams have those big kind of marquee names. But with Washington, you know, Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls, three different quarterbacks. The mainstay was the Hogs. And Joe Jacoby was, to me, right up there as the most important 
if not the best of the Hawks, that great offensive line. So that's the first thing I think about. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of right there as well, Jeremy. And, like, the first thing I always go to is, you know, how that offensive line kind of transcended that position, like the whole offensive line, right, for the future. And in particular, someone like Joe Jacoby. And, you know, we were talking, me and Jeremy were talking, and it's like, if you look at the prototypical offensive lineman today, 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", over 300 pounds. And, but in 1981, you didn't really see that as much. And, you know, when you look at a guy like Joe Jacoby, he, for me, it's like he was that start of, you know, that new wave of offensive lineman that was, that was coming in the NFL. Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I agree with both of you. But, too, Jose, your point right there, I, I couldn't agree more. Six foot seven, 305 pounds. Um, you know, today, when you think of a left tackle, sure, that that checks out. But back then, that was definitely, you know, not the pro typical offensive lineman or just player in the NFL. Uh, when I think of the best left tackles of all time, they all kind of have that height in my head, the Orlando Paces of the world, the Willie Rolfs. They're all the six, 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 seven guys. But he was kind of first of his kind. The crazy part is, right, he was he was undrafted. He was in draft out Louvre. He wasn't even, you know. And I don't know, I don't know if they were like, he's too big, he'll be too slow or what. But at the same time, undrafted, but he's 6'7, 305, and he's that now kind of pro typical size they have today, but played back then. And around the hogs, we got, I mean, this is why I think he's a very famous offensive lineman. I was looking through the 80s in Washington's run game, and of course, everything they want. I mean, three Super Bowls, as you said, Jeremy. And I was looking at the line itself and the names on it. And I think the Hogs, I don't think many people are going to argue with this. I think they're one of the best offensive lines of all time. And I was looking through who I consider, like my head, when I go best offensive lines of all time, the Hogs are in there. The 70s Raiders are in there with Upshaw, Shell, Jim Otto, Bob Brown. I mean, that's four Hall of Famers on one line. That, that to me, is the, the best of all time. But then I was like, well, who's second best? I think of... Again, the Hogs, I think of the Cowboys in the 90s when Emmett Smith was just running over with Larry Allen, Eric Williams. And of course, I mean, I don't know as much about this, but it goes without saying like the 60s Packers, as much as a Bears fan, I hate to say that. Forrest Gregg's one of the all-time greats. Jim Ringo, Jerry Kramer finally got in the Hall of Fame. That's three Hall of Famers right there. I'm putting you guys kind of on the spot here, but Hogs, I, I, I think... I think it's safe to say they're a top five offensive line of all time. But do you guys think they're top? Do they break into top three? I, I have Raiders cemented in that top three. I have the Packers cemented in that top three just because Raiders, four Hall of Famers, Packers, three Hall of Famers, and they both won championships. Do you have the Hogs in the top three off the top of your head? I know I gave you no prep on this. For me, I do. I really do. Right. It, it goes to them. And I think that close battle is like the 90s Cowboys. But I feel like that run didn't last as long as, you know, 80s Washington. So that's why I'm going to put them as the number three. I agree with you. Um, I think the Oakland at that 70s period is the best O-line ever. I think, honestly, and we'll get into this with Jacoby, but I think the number one, that tackle guard combo of Upshaw and Shell is the best ever. I think Joe Jacoby and Grimm are in the top five, but the number one is them. And I have to agree with you. I know it hurts you, but yeah, the Packers were a great old line back then. But I think Washington, just for the innovation, just for what they were doing back then, and we talk about Joe Jacoby 
and they kind of tackled that he has, you know, kind of been that prototype lead for Washington and, you know, having to really make the offensive line popular in today's game. And it still has a long way to go, but now you're hearing people talk about and fans, your casual fans can talk about, oh, the O-line, we got to fix the offensive line. That really wasn't something that you really heard about until 1980, 80s and the Washington football team and the Hawks getting that recognition. And so I will have to say, I put them in my top three. Yeah, I, I'm right there as well. I'm even, you know, for me, it's it's a very close two and three between, you know, that Packers line and, and, and the Hogs. And and I agree with Jeremy. Longevity for me is, is important. And I think that Washington offensive line, was, they were doing it for a long time, right? You talk about 81, which is, you know, his first year, Jacoby's first year, but that whole Joe Gibbs run. And it's not like they just, you know, they were a good running team. Like, no, like that offense, if you look at the numbers and you look at, what those teams were doing. You have some of the best offensive teams of all time, you know, especially that 83, uh, that Washington team. So, you know, I, I agree, like longevity, you know, innovation, you know, size, athleticism, like this line had it all. And, you know, if you look at these other lines, they, you know, especially those top two, they definitely had that as well. Yeah. Even the 91 Washington, when they won that Super Bowl, they only allowed seven sacks on Mark right. Rippon. And Mark Rippon isn't the most mobile quarterback but that's impressive, though, to only allow seven sacks in a season. And they're playing the Giants twice a year. The Dallas was rising. That legendary 91 Eagles defense. And to allow seven sacks all year, really impressive. Yeah, Jeremy, we're gonna, we were going to bring it up at some point. I just want to bring it up now. The teams that they were playing and the pass rushers they had, it was – I mean, we are talking – not just very good defenses. We're talking Reggie White coming at you. We're talking about LT coming at you. We're talking about some of the best of the best that's ever played, and they're not laying up the sack. So it wasn't just some Joe Schmo, you know, attacking the line. It was kind of some of the best pass rushers we've ever seen in NFL history. Yeah, and, and if you even look at, like, that Giants team, right, they, you know, Washington loses to the Giants in 86 in the championship game, but you've mentioned LT, but if you flip the other side, you got Carl Banks, right? You talk about Reggie White. If you flip the other side, you have a very underrated – defensive end in Clyde Simmons, who you, mm -hmm. I, I feel like it can be a, uh, an episode on this show as well. Definitely. Close to a Hall of Famer. So, yeah, I agree. Like, those defenses, it, they were so great. Those, especially in those two teams. I know in the 80s, like, the Cowboys were kind of suffering a little bit there, but you talk about early 90s, and that defense really came back strong. And with Jimmy Johnson transcending defenses and, and focusing a lot on speed. So, no, I, we're right there with you, Jim. Like, we're, those defenses that they were facing – and not only facing, not giving up sacks, but also just pounding them and running the football all over them. That's that's super impressive. Yeah. So I do want to move to our next segment here. We call this That Memorable Moment. And what we do here, guys, very liberal again here. It can really be whatever you want. It can be a specific game, a play, an entire season, a stretch of a season. Just to you both, and, and maybe you have the same answer, maybe you have different answers. What would you say to you is Joe Jacoby's most memorable moment? Yeah, I'm going to go with the easy one, right? I'm going to go Super Bowl 17. You know, we all see that John Riggins touchdown run to, to ice the Super Bowl. Yep. Who did they run behind? Right behind Joe Jacoby, right? And, and we all, you know, John Riggins gets the credit and gets the NFL Films pub and, and all of that stuff. But Again, Joe Gibbs knew exactly where to go. He, he knew he needed to seal the game. 
he, he needed yards, right? I mean, I don't think they predicted he was going to go, you know, to the house with that run. But again, he knew exactly where he wanted to go to, and he went right behind that that all-time famous left side of the offensive line. So for me, I think I'm going to go the easy way out and pick that <laughs> run. But Deremy's my my offensive line guru, so I'm I'm sure he's got something else cooking for us. I do, I do, and I'm I'm got something for you both. For you, I'm gonna go a little outside the box because Jose is right. That run is great. Yep. Clutch set up their first world championship, started that whole dynasty run. I'm gonna go a little bit different though. Memorable moment is actually something he wasn't on the field for. Hmm. So we all seen the Blind Side. We all know like the book, the movie, great, great stuff, right? And when you look at the book, I've read the book. You look at the movie movie even Sandra Bullock opening talking about that classic hit you know they just had a football life on Joe Theismann so Joe Theismann and LT and LT gets that sack and breaks Joe Theismann's leg ends his career and then everyone's focusing on that blind side what people were assuming then and now they think Joe Jacoby's on the field Joe Jacoby is actually on the sideline so to me I think if Joe Jacoby's healthy you know what does that play happen it was maybe like LT's most famous play, you know, the greatest defensive player ever, but like that play happened. And to me, Joe Jacoby kind of helped to start this trend of the blind side by actually not playing in that game. So to me, that's what I think of most is not just being the prototype left tackle like we saw, but also what would happen if Joe Jacoby was out there that Monday night in 1985, how many careers, how things are different for so many people. Damien, you might see me smiling because I, I literally watched this scene this morning trying to see, could I see Joe Jacoby in the, in the scene blocking? And I, and I couldn't make it out from what I was seeing. I couldn't really make out any uh, names except Bostic. So he was on the sideline. I didn't even know that. He was, he was not in when that play happened. He was hurt. He was out. He was at, a lot of people think he was on the field. I just assumed. I just yeah. assumed. Okay. I mean, I think it still happens because LT was they were blocking LT with a fullback on that play. It was a flea flicker, so it's it was it wasn't your tip, prototypical drop back pass. But no, I I did the same thing, Jim, a couple of weeks back, and so me and Jeremy had a conversation about. It. I was like, that's why I mean, I couldn't find him. So, <laughs> yeah. so so um, also, I just want to point out because I did rewatch it this morning. I want to give a shout out to uh, Lawrence Taylor because right after that, he was like trying to signal the medics in as fast as possible. Right. He, you could tell how upset he was by that happening. Um, but, but no, I mean, thank you for that history lesson. Cause I had no idea he was on the side and that's an excellent thing to pick out. I had the same answer as Jose down here. It's, it's that touchdown, you know, blocking on the lead blocker for John Riggins there. I think that's what most people are going to say, but there, I love that answer from you. And, and just for those at home again, that Riggins touchdown he had during that Super Bowl, um, Washington did set the record for most rushing yards in a Super Bowl with 276, but they broke that record just five years later when they, you know, killed the Broncos with 280 rushing yards. And of course, Jacoby's blocking in both of those in the later one, I believe, I believe that was when Timmy Smith went nuts, Correct. right? Yeah. Correct. Okay. So, so yeah. So again, Jacoby, Won three Super Bowls, two of the Super Bowls. They're setting rushing records, and he's the left tackle in those. I think that does mean a lot. And I will say, guys, when it comes to offensive linemen, for that memorable moment, it's probably sometimes the toughest subject to have a memorable moment because, again, these are the 
the guys that don't get enough credit and recognition ever because, you know, they're in the trenches and they're not a quarterback and they're not, you know, they're not in fantasy football. People that don't, you know, I don't want to say people that don't love the game don't, you know, you got to love offensive line and love the game, but people that really appreciate football love O-line play, love trench play. I know I love it. They just, there's not enough statistics yet to give them. And I always say, if we can talk about an O-lineman and have a memorable moment for them, that means they were pretty special. And, and again, the Riggins block is something you can always point to as something that's super, you know, recognizable about Jacoby himself. Um, so moving on, guys, this next segment, we, of course, call this and twins. I love quarterbacks eating dirt, pom-poms and short skirts, fans who won't quit, and those twins. And you know what we do here? We take a look at the Hall of Fame today, and we go, you know, who in the Hall of Fame today most reminds you of Joe Jacoby? And it can be strictly by accolades it can be how they played it can be hey i think their resumes just look similar interested to see you know how different or similar our answers are here so first going to turn over to you guys who would you say joe jacoby's closest twin is in the football hall of fame i'm honestly i'm going to go by the accolades for this one and i'm going to go with jimbo covert who just recently got in and to me, they both made uh, the 1980s all-decade team. Both were, I believe, probably for the NFC, because Anthony Munoz, I think, greatest left tackle ever. Oh, yeah. So excluding him, but I think that running for best tackles of the decade kind of go back and forth between Covert and Jacoby. Now, those 80s Bears O-line are very over, like overlooked. That's an underrated great O-line right. you know, in that era, but – I look at, I know Covert's career was cut short to injury, but you look at, and I'm glad he got into the hall, um, but I'm looking like kind of what we talked about earlier. Covert was a great player, but I'm looking at who Jacoby had to go up against during that time in the 80s and had to face twice a year, which is, uh, you know, Reggie and Clyde, LT, you know, uh, Randy White was there in Dallas and Harvey Martin and Two Tall Jones. And having to lead that way, you know, the NFC East was a beast back then, and he's getting it twice a year. And like we talked about earlier, and dominating. And I feel like I'm looking at the pro. The Pro Bowls are pretty like similar. The All Pro numbers are similar. And I believe if Covert got in, which I'm glad he did, I think there's no reason to me why Joe Jacoby shouldn't be in there. So I believe, and also we got to give credit to longevity. Now Jacoby later mm-hmm. in his career switched to guard, but still. Give props, like Jose said, to longevity that he played and that he was a factor on three Super Bowl winning teams and played in four. So I look at it more as accolades. I'm looking at his for a twin, Jimbo Covert. Jose, yeah, what that, about you? That's that was my go-to as well. And we're not trying to get any cool points here, Jen. So, you know, <laughs> throwing that Chicago Bear love, but no, I agree. If you look at resumes, they're very similar. You know, when it comes to Derry mentioned Pro Bowls, all you know, first team all pros, you know, um, Jimbo Covert beat him out, you know, for that 80s all decade team, like on their first team. So, you know, that we have that as well. Uh, I think it was by like three votes or something like that. So, you know, there's I just feel like if, if Jim Covert got in the Hall of Fame, I think it's it's you can have you can you can make a strong, very strong argument that Joe Jacoby should have also gotten. And a lot of people, especially if you talk to 
you know, Washington fans feel as though Joe Jacoby should have got in before Jim Covert. And again, that's a debate that, you know, you can have on a different show. But no, I, I think that's the one, you know, that if you look at resumes, they're very similar. If you look at style of play, um, you know, we, we talked about another person that if you speak with, you know, a Washington fan can, can say, you know, that Joe Jacoby should have got in before. And you're looking at Tony Baselli, who just recently got in, right? And you're looking at, you know, a huge guy, right? Six, over 6'5", six, over 300 pounds, but very athletic and, you know, can could do a lot of things on the field. And obviously his career was was cut short as well. But, you know, if you, when you think about huge offensive linemen, like Eric Williams, you mentioned earlier, or Larry Allen, like those guys were maulers, right? Like they they were just going to put you somewhere if they wanted to and just move you out of the way and, and let Emma Smith run behind them. But when you look at guys like Joe Jacoby, who can move and can, can, you know, you're, you're, you know, the counter tray, you're pulling a tackle now. Like, you know, we, I have never seen that before, you know, until when we talk about the hogs. So now you're talking night, not only size, strength, but athleticism, agility, when you weren't having that conversation about offensive linemen. So for me, Tony Baselli took that to a different level. And so did a lot of these other left tackles as well, like Walter Jones and, you know, a bunch of other guys. But I think for me, style wise, you look at, you look at Baselli as well. Jose, I love that you brought the athleticism um, of Joe Jacoby because I was when I was watching some film um, of Jacoby to get kind of ready for this, I saw a clip against the Cowboys. I don't know what year it was, but he he comes around and he knocks uh, two tall Jones on the Cowboys like just off his feet, just lays him out. But he then continues running like he just launches him while he's running still and then gets to the second level to pick up the linebacker all in like a matter of a second to let, let the running back, you know, burst through the hole. It, it was a feat of athleticism that you don't see too many left tackles at that size being able to make. And definitely in the eighties, that was probably the first time some people have ever seen someone that size move like that, but it's that level of athleticism. As you were saying, the Baselli comment, I, I love that too. Cause Baselli to me is one of the more athletic left tackles of all time. Um, so, so I love that you brought that into the mix as well, guys, we have, this is again, you're the first time I ever had two people on the show. All three of us have the same answer jotted down here and we did not talk before this. So I've Jimbo as well, you know, maybe a Chicago guy that was a little more obvious for me, but he was just elected in 2020, uh, after many years, of course, as a bears fan, I'm very happy, but yeah, I mean, I look at the accolades and I, it's, it's hard to justify that you know, Jimbo has a better case than Joe. Um, you know, Jimbo is a two-time Pro Bowler only. You know, Joe's double that. Um, and I think back then the Pro Bowl meant a little more than it does today. And now it's going to be flag football, so it means even less today than it <laughs> used to. But um, what what I really focus on, because again, as a player, caliber of player, I think they're very similar caliber of players. Um, you know, Jimbo's a little smaller than Joe, but I, I think they both did the job very similarly. It's more, I look at the playoffs and the postseason success, just like you look at for other positions. Um, you know, three Super Bowls to one for Jimbo. And again, that was a defense that dominated that for them, uh, for my Chicago Bears. But then even the playoff games, Joe Jacoby played in 21 playoff games. That That's near the top for any position player in NFL history. Um, you know, Jimbo played in 11. So he was always in the postseason. He was leading a rushing attack that, again, nothing against Riggins, nothing against Timmy Smith or anyone else that was running back for the for the Washington because it seemed like whoever was playing running back did well with that line. 
but the Bears did have Walter Payne. And the offensive line was good and it was underrated, but it, it was Walter Payne running behind him. Um, for some reason, I'm always going to give a little more credit to the Washington O-line for opening holes and, and letting the yardage happen with running backs I just feel are maybe a little less skilled than Walter Payne. And I, I hope I'm not being a homer for saying that, but to not me, Walter Payne's, no, you know, one of the all-time greats, my all-time running back of all time. And he made a lot of plays that should have been a loss into a gain. So I have Jimbo as well. Again, I think Jimbo should be in the Hall of Fame. I have no problem with him being in. But when I look at him and Jacoby next to each other, it is hard for me to say, you know, Jimbo has a better case because I don't know if he does. And, and Jose, you also brought up the, uh, the pro football all decade team. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Cause I, I want to ask you guys some questions around how, how they, how the voting work there and then how we rank the best left tackles of the eighties. So that actually sets us up perfectly segue wise to our final segment here we call this court you want answers i think i'm entitled you want answers i want the truth you can't handle the truth and again this is where we kind of talked about the pros for his case and again maybe why he's not in today we've been doing this obviously throughout a little bit but we're going to focus a little more on a few things here and the first thing i guess let's just segue into what i was talking about here when i look at any athlete basketball football baseball um, I'm all about contemporaries. Uh, you know, the game changes over the years, rules change. I try my best not to compare people against players that played, you know, 40, 50 years prior or today, because it's just sometimes different. So I always look at, you know, who is playing when they were playing, where do they rank? And, and I always say, if someone is top five at their position for a decade, doesn't mean they're a hall of famer but it means they definitely, definitely have earned the right to be in, a, in the discussion and, and definitely looked upon as someone that probably may belong in the Hall of Fame. And when we're looking at left tackles of the 80s, um, you know, Deremy, earlier you brought up Anthony Muniz. He's, he's number one in the decade. He's probably number one all time. I, I think you said that. I think I agree with you there. It's, it's hard to argue with that one. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know as much about the 50s, 60s offensive linemen, and I can only see so much little film of them. But Anthony, from everyone I've talked to, as well as accolades, everything, the guy's just all time. Yeah. Um, one of the freakiest athletes, too, at the position of all time. Some some may say Jim Parker of the Colts. Jim Parker comes up a lot, too, De- yeah. Jeremy, but, like, I don't – I can only see I go so with much Munoz. about Jim. Yeah. yeah, I go with Munoz. And Jim, yeah, too, he, he, he was all over the line as well. Um, you know, he was left tackle, but he also played guard for a bit. He was all over the – I mean, he was just – yeah. So, Jim Parker, all-time great, of course. And he went to Ohio game. State, so that knocks him down a which peg, is, too. Which is a plus, for sure. <laughs> That knocks him down a pay. He went to Ohio State, so I'm with so, you, Jim. So anyway, in the 80s, Anthony, number one. You, none of us are debating that, so he's number one. But then we look at the number two spot. And, Jose, you brought up this earlier, so I want to go here before we start ranking people. So for my listeners at home that maybe aren't as familiar with this, for football, there's all-decade teams. The Pro Football Hall of Fame votes on an all-decade team. But also a site you all know I use very much, and it's a sponsor, Pro Reference. Um, the Pro Football Reference site has a all-decade team as well, um, and it's different. And usually, the Hall of Fame all-decade team and the Pro Football Reference all-decade team 
They're usually very, very similar. However, for the 80s left tackles, there's actually like a ton of a ton of difference in opinion here. And I want to throw this out here because some of the players aren't even. Let me just say this. Okay. So the Pro Football Hall of Fame all decade list. We were just talking about Jimbo Covert. He's a first teamer on the Pro Football Hall of Fame all decade list for the 80s, but he didn't make first or second team on the pro football reference all decade team. That kind of never happens. If you're first team on one team, you're usually at minimum second team on another team, which just shows there's a lot of disagreement here, but I'm going to run through the players on each of these teams. And then we're going to talk about where we all rank them. So the pro football hall of fame, all decade team has again, Jimbo Curvert and Anthony Muniz number first teamers. And then their second teams, Joe Jacoby, our topic today, and then Gary Zimmerman. Gary Zimmerman, Anthony, Jimbo, all in the Hall of Fame. Joe Jacoby, obviously, not in the Hall of Fame. Now, when we go over to the pro reference, left tackles. Again, Anthony, first teamer, so they didn't get that wrong. That's good by them. Another first teamer who was not on the other list, Jackie Slater, Hall of Famer. And then the second team for them was Joe Jacoby, so he makes both. And then Mike Ken, who... I honestly did not know too much about it until I saw that name come up. I've heard of him. He was Atlanta's left tackle for a very long time. I think he started in the 70s, played all the way through the 80s into the 90s. He was a pro bowler, a couple-time all-pro. Um, he makes that list as a second teamer. So we got a lot of difference in opinion here. We got Jackie Slater, who's a first teamer on the pro football reference all-decade team, but didn't even make the Hall of Fame team. We got Mike Ken on this team also, who is not on the Pro Football Hall of Fame decade team. And then on the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we got Jimbo, who didn't make the other one, and then Gary Zimmerman. And everyone's a Hall of Famer except Mike Ken and except Joe Jacoby. And I'm just going to say I have Joe Jacoby ranked way above Mike Ken here. I'm just going to say that out loud. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. guys, these are, there's already a lot of tackles, so I'm not going to throw any other names in the mix here if you really want to. Feel free to, but I think we're working with, again, Anthony, let's not touch him. He's number one, but we got Hall of Famer Jackie Slater. We got Mike Ken. We got Gary Zimmerman. We got Joe Jacoby, and we got Jimbo Curvert. So how do we, that's five more guys. So we got a top six here with Anthony number one. Where do you see Joe Jacoby fitting among all these guys? Or how would you rank those guys after Anthony in terms of, you know, greatest to just a very good player. Well, uh, the, the only tricky part for me is Jackie Slater, Hall of Famer, and should definitely be there. Great. 100%. He's a right tackle. Right. And so ah. I think a lot of times people – so I know, like, on, the, like, the list, you'll say tackle. So That's true. I get it. But then people don't realize left tackle and right tackle – very different positions. Right tackle never gets love. Willie right. Anderson, and absolutely, shout out. absolutely. And I think today we're seeing it being a little more kind of similar because just how defensive linemen are and defenses. But if you're going to just do tackles, then I'm good with Jacoby being third. But I just wanted to point out for everyone listening that Slater, Hall of Famer, great, but he's actually a right tackle. And so if we're going by all just combining tackles. No, Darren, put... Darren, you're right. You're you're correcting me here. Let's throw Jackie out. Let's let's yeah. only do left tackles. Um, Jackie over there, different position. I was looking, 
I was like, I could have sworn Jackie played left tackle for a few years. He did not at all. I just pulled his page up. He was only exclusively a right yeah. tackle. So let's stick with left tackles. Thanks for the correction there. Uh, no, no problem. And, and for me, I, I like the pro football reference. They're all decade team, honestly. Um, Joe Jacoby's number two. He, yeah. He's behind Anthony Munoz. Anthony's number one. He's to go, as, as Jim so eloquently put it, he's number one. But number two is Joe Jacoby. And for all the reasons we said, I mean, just looking at that combo of being that great run blocker, that counter tray, but also doing being a great pass blocker at the same time. And it's rare to see even now those tackles who are getting out and pulling like that. You referenced, uh, Jim, that 1984 game where he's pulling and knocking Tall Jones, who's 6'9 himself, flattening him and still doing that. It's hard to see tackles doing that in today's game, let alone even back then. Uh, Joe Jacoby is the number two tackle to me of left tackle. I'll be clear. Number two left tackle of the 1980s. Yeah, that's my number two as well. Um, like if we were going to include Jackie, then yeah, I would have had Jackie Slater number two. And then, you know, um, Jacoby at number three. But if we're talking strictly left tackles, it's, it's, it's easy, a slam dunk for me. If it's Anthony Munoz number one, then Joe Jacoby number two, for sure. I have Jacoby number two as well. It wasn't as easy for me. I kind of went back and forth with Gary Zimmerman and him. I ultimately landed on Jacoby um, just because I, I, again, I look at, I was really going back to even team rankings in terms of the running and the passing and just how they were so proficient at both. And again, I don't want to like, Washington had good skill players. I'm not, I'm not saying their offense wasn't this, the most, you know, this not talented offense at all. But I do think that the strength of that offensive line, which I really do look at Jacoby, and again, it, the collection was just solid across the board, but I think they played a major part in all of that. And again, in that division and against the competition they were playing on a weekly basis, I really do put higher marks on him along with the three Super Bowls, which kind of segues into the other thing I wanted to hit on here. I was surprised by this. I'm not going to lie, guys. And I don't know if th this you know, came up when you were kind of getting ready for this episode or not. But I was looking at the numbers for left tackles, you know, left tackles in the Hall of Fame or left tackles all time. And I was looking at championships. Um, you know, I think when we talk about basketball, championships is all, all people care about. Or not all people care about, but it's, it's a huge distinction because there's few players on a team so you can really make a mark on it and win a championship. Baseball definitely gets glossed over a bit. I think in football, unless you're a quarterback, I don't know if many people care how many, you know, Super Bowls a wide receiver had. But I do feel like offensive linemen play a huge factor in the success of Super Bowl champions. You really, I was trying to go back, is there an, uh, a Super Bowl champion that had a really bad offensive line? I couldn't really find one. I'm sure there is, so everyone relax. If you want to, you know, tweet at me or, or send me an email, let me know when there was a really bad offensive line for a Super Bowl champion. But I feel like at minimum, they're usually at mi like in the middle of the pack, if not one of the top ones. I do think it's a huge part of a successful offense. And Joe Jacoby won three Super Bowls as a left tackle. I was looking at the best left tackles of all time. Guys, where do you think Joe Jacoby ranks in terms of like left tackles today in the Hall of Fame, Super Bowl rings? Where do you think he ranks on the list of most Super Bowl rings by a left tackle? Wow. Um, Actually, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that because now I just 
most championship. So it could be okay. prior to the Super Bowl era as well. Let me let me clear that okay. up. Okay. That's important. Yeah, we're just doing left tackles. Just left tackles. So no Jackie Slater sneaking in here. I'll take fourth. Fourth? Can we got guess? Yeah, I'm, I would I would say I'm gonna go I'm gonna go third. Second. Mm. Okay. Number one is uh my arch nemesis, Force Greg. He had six championships with those Packer right. teams, but yeah, that's why I had to rephrase it. Jacoby has three all by himself, number uh, number two, and then there's no other Hall of Famer with more than two, uh, like Jim Parker, Art Shell, Rayfield Wright. They all have two championships. Most of these guys only got one or, or none. So Jacoby, I mean, in the Super Bowl air, has the most with three. And, and that surprised me a bit. Obviously, when I think of him, I think of the championships. I think of those Washington teams and the success they had with all the different quarterbacks, all the different guys in the backfield. But he stands alone there. And, and I think that I think that should matter. Does that surprise you he's number two? Not no. me. No. Not me. <laughs> uh, Not I knew he'd be, he'd be up there as for, for that, like, for those championships, and uh, I know we'll, we'll get to that later of just like why do you think he's not? But I'll, I'll save that for later. But it, it doesn't surprise me that he's, you know, that high up there because I knew Forrest Gregg, and then I wasn't sure off the dome. I was like, how many exactly Jim Parker was up there? But honestly, I knew Arch Shecky like said Shell had two, and I'm thinking, yeah, it goes great for just left tackles. That he he was a mainstay. And he was that dominant in uh in what many call maybe like the best era of pro football. Right. Which people like don't really talk about. I mean, you're that great for that long. And with many go back to that glory days of the eighties, that, that says something. So no, it's not surprising that he's that high up. And and the thing is, like Jeremy just mentioned, like that glory days, those glory days of the eighties, you know, everybody quickly goes to 49ers, the Chicago Bears, the New York Giants, and they constantly overlook that Washington team. And Jim, you mentioned earlier about how many playoff games, you know, Joe Jacoby won. If you look at Joe Gibbs's resume, playoff resume, guess what? Who was that left tackle? Was Joe Jacoby every game, you know? So it's not like he was on these teams, but were not contributing even towards the end of his career. No, like, you know, in 91, and I know we're talking left tackle, but 91, he was, you know, playing guard, but he was still doing his thing and if you look at and again I don't want to jump it I jump ahead too much but everybody always talks about Washington and the three quarterbacks and Joe Gibbs and the county Trey but again like the mainstay was that offensive line and if you look at that that Washington team their thing was you had to run the ball like we had to run the ball and to work that play action all everything else that goes with that offense and it was because of guys like Joe Jacoby that made that offense and that success possible yeah, they definitely did run the ball. I think I think of that one Super Bowl, the Riggins, I think he had like 38 carries or something that like that, which reminds me of my childhood growing up in like the 90s and 2000s when people would get like 40 carries in a game. And I, I would, that, I mean, that would blow someone's mind today, a younger consumer of the NFL. If a, honestly, if a running back even gets near 30 carries now, I'm, I'm astonished by what's going on. So mm-hmm. those days are very over. Um, I think a lot of people are happy about that. I am for the most part. Sometimes I do miss, 
kind of, you know, the, the running backs getting that many carries, but that's another, it's another day. And, and I, I agree with what you guys are saying completely. We are going to talk about why he's maybe not in, in one second, but I have to go one other place. Um, and I've been kind of avoiding this for a while, but we talked about at the very beginning, the hogs offensive line um, and how they're one of the best of all time. I think we, we all know here and, maybe most of my listeners know that there's one hall of famer from that hogs line in the hall of fame already, Russ Grimm, the guard. He got in 2010. Now to me, that's is interesting, right? That Grimm gets in the guard over the left tackle because left tackle is the, you know, the position, every, the glorified position, maybe from the movie, the blind side, but definitely with quarterback play today, left tackle is, you know, that's the money maker. That's where, Everyone, as you said earlier, Demi, it's getting a little more right tackles are getting a little more love these days. It doesn't matter as much, but left tackle was and will probably always be considered, you know, that premier position on the O-line. And I always thought it was interesting. Grimm got in as a guard before Jacoby did, because I, I feel like they were extremely similar in terms of their resume in general, but Jacoby played the, you know, more glorified position. So two questions for you guys. One. If you had to, and I know it's not fair because it's completely different positions, but if you had to, who would you say was the better player on that line? Was it Grimm or was it Jacoby? And then two, when Grimm as a guard did get in the Hall of Fame before Jacoby, were you a bit surprised? Yeah, I'm going to go Jacoby one and then Grimm two. And, you know, and if you, again, I was listening to a couple podcasts, like Washington podcast, and a lot of their fan base think the same thing, you know, and, and, and again, Grim, great guard, great offense alignment, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but I do not think that Jacoby, he should have got in before Jacoby, for sure. And um, what was the second part of that question? Jim? Oh, it's just when, and maybe you don't uh, remember, but when Grim got in in 2010, if you do remember that, were you a little surprised that he was getting in before Jacoby? Because I remember when that happened, I was really I was thrown off by that because especially at that point in my life, I guards to me, which I appreciate guards so much more now than I, I did 10 years or 12 years ago. But I remember I was like, why is the guard of that line getting in before the left tackle? I was shocked by that. Um, I don't know if you remember, but were, were you surprised at all? Or at least when you eventually learned of it, were you surprised by that? Yeah, I, I definitely was. Cause again, my my football mind is always geared to like it's left tackle then you know the rest of the offensive line and and when you mentioned it earlier Jim like the left tackle gets a lot of the praise when it comes to great offensive linemen um so for a guard to get in for in a guard who again a lot of people say um was great but not as good as the left tackle it is is, is always surprising you know so I, I would let Jeremy jump in but no I it's a great question great question no um, so for I answer the first part first, um, I go back to what their teammate, the center for those teams, Jeff Bostic said, and also Charlie Casterly, the scout, you know, we see him as an analyst now, but he was a scout for those Washington teams, assisted GM. They both say Joe Jacoby was a better player than Russ Grimm and they love Russ Grimm. That's their guy too. And they say he should be in the hall, but that Jacoby played longer, played more games. Um, Grimm has, I think, maybe a couple more all-pro honors, but he played a tougher position and was asked to do a lot. Now, a lot of times, I hate to separate them, but the, the truth is 
they Washington's success kind of just similar to I mentioned earlier, the 70s Raiders running behind Upshaw and Shell. They ran behind Jacoby and Grimm. And that's up there for me as one of the better tackle guard combos in league history. So they should be like looked at together. But I have to honestly, not just in my opinion, but even listening to guys who are in the trenches with them, they say Jacoby was better than Russ Grimm. Uh, Now for the second part, though, I was not surprised. Mm. And here's the kicker. This is why I love your show. I'm glad that we have a show like this. I love the Hall of Fame debate. Because no one is completely unbiased. And a lot of times we're prisoner of the moment or, you know, whose name is being put out there. Joe Jacoby was a quiet guy back then, a more quiet guy now. I wasn't surprised when Russ Grimm got in because Russ Grimm was an assistant coach with Pittsburgh, popular franchise. Then even went to Arizona and with Ken Wisenhunt. And when they made that Super Bowl run, his name was being put out a lot. And so for those years, you kept hearing Russ Grimm because he was in the NFL still as an assistant coach, a very good offensive line coach. You know, I don't want to take any away from him, but that seems to help. If you're in the media, if your name gets thrown out there, you're going to get attention more. You kind of see it seems like you have to be one of those lock first ballot, like, you know, household names to kind of still not be in the media after you're done playing, but still get in. Joe Jacoby's more reserved, quiet. Russ Grimm has been out there. So at the time, I wasn't surprised. I didn't agree with it over Jacoby, but I wasn't surprised because he kept hearing his name. His name was even up for head coaching jobs at that time. And so that to me, no offense, I think Grimm deserves to be in, but that popularity contest that kind of happens in the Hall of Fame room sometimes, Mm -hmm. I felt gave Russ Grimm the edge back then. No, that's a a really great perspective. That makes a lot of sense. And as my listeners know, that is sometimes the Hall of Fame there. It's it's not a perfect system by any means. Sometimes it's the people, it, you know, it's the it's sometimes it's the people that are in the room that are talking about you. If they're not giving a great presentation, people aren't mm-hmm. listening, that affects you. Sometimes it's just bias that we're human, right? And or the voters are human. And unfortunately, there's grudges and things like that too. There's right. a whole cast of things that happen in that room. And with the, especially the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, there's only, there's only 48 voters in that room. So it's not the baseball where there's hundreds of them and basketball still a black hole to me. No one's letting me in the secret of what the hell goes on there. I just know they let most people in. Yep. Um, but yeah, you politics is part of it a little bit. And again, Russ Grimm is a hall of famer I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but uh, again, him and Jacoby to me are almost like a, a package deal. Um, and for him to get in 12 years ago, Grimm and, Jacoby not even be able to be a finalist for the senior committee. Now it's sometimes tough for me to understand. Um, but I think you made excellent points where Grimm's still around the game where, you know, as you said, Joe Jacoby kind of faded away and isn't that outspoken. So when it's that tough and especially with the senior pool nowadays, there's such a backlog, you kind of need to figure out a way to stand out. And especially for an O-line and it's sometimes even tougher. So Along those lines, before we go to final verdict, we do need to talk a little more about other reasons why maybe we we don't think he's in. And before I turn over to you guys and maybe give your opinions on this, one thing I want to run through really quick is I was looking at like what is the average left tackle in the Hall of Fame? Like like what are their credentials, quote unquote? Um, you know, Joe does very well in the championships credential, as we point out earlier. He has three 
The average Hall of Fame left tackle has one. Uh, first team APL pros, you know, the average has four. So, so Joe's a little behind that. Uh, I believe he has two. Pro Bowls, nine is the average there. Joe has four, so he's behind there a bit. And then like season started or games played, Joe's right in the mix. It's like 11 seasons starting. He had 11 playoff games. He's higher than everybody else for the most part. So in terms of accolades, like Pro Bowls, all pros, he's a, he's a bit behind what that standard left tackle is. Seasons played, you know, championships, all of that. He's at where he should be or actually a little better. If you want to get really geeky, and I've started to when it comes to offensive linemen talking about approximate uh, value, weighted approximate value, all that good stuff. He is right in line with like kind of what a Hall of Famer should be. But I know the kinks in that are still getting worked out quite a bit. So I don't want to lean too much on that. So that's where it kind of lands. He's, he's in the middle, but he's definitely not a lock, which of course is why we're talking about him. The guy retired a very long time ago and we're still talking about him today as a Hall of Famer. Um, Jose, I'll kick it over to you first. And then, um, Jeremy, I'll let you go too. What do you think the biggest reason why Jacoby's not in the Hall of Fame today? And it could be something we've already talked about. You can just bring up again. But what do you think the re- the main reason he's not today is? Yeah, I mean, I don't. We really didn't, we touched on Russ Grimm a lot in this episode, and I know, you know, I, I I would hear it with other offensive linemen. I've heard it with like Arshaw and Gene Upshaw. It's like when they have that dominant guard playing next to you, it does supposedly I don't I don't I don't agree with the with that notion but you know it, it can make the tackle that much better you know what I mean like it can make the job easier for another offensive lineman even if it's not a tackle it can be another offensive lineman but you know so I, I've heard that argument I've heard um you know that that why that Washington played a lot of two tight end formations which gave help to the tackles like I, I've heard that thrown out there as well when it comes to arguments with Joe Jacoby I don't necessarily agree with that either. Um, those are the first two for me that that kind of come to mind um, on what can, again, a voter may look at and go, okay, like that may be an issue. You know, maybe maybe he wasn't as good as everyone thinks he is. Uh, I don't, what about you, Jeremy? Uh, for me, it kind of goes, um, it goes back to, we recently on our podcast, Bigger Than The Game, did an episode on Joe Gibbs. Mm-hmm. And I, we talked about whether it's him and I think so many of the players on that team, even the few that are, have gotten into the hall of fame, that whole team is just grossly overlooked and they just kind of get thrown into the mix of that great eighties NFC era. But you have, like, we can see, like we've talked about Jimbo covert and how really like, how was he in over Joe Jacoby, but the bear and that 85 team was great, but no offense, Jim, we, you know, the 85 oh. team did not really, they kind of left a lot to be desired. I mean, they had a great season, sure. but they didn't get it done. And honestly, a big reason why they didn't get it done the next two years, Washington bounced them out. But that's for another time. But I'm just saying that whole team, because Joe Gibbs and the personality, they were very quiet there. Besides like Dexter Manley, there wasn't like a big personality on it. They were just, they weren't the, you know, the, crazy defense of the Giants or the Bears or the West Coast offense of the Niners. It was pretty much running the ball and, you know, they did throw it, but I think that team gets overlooked. And even, I also feel you mentioned earlier, Jim, the Raiders in the seventies, 
that O-line was loaded with Otto and Upshaw, but they didn't have like that name. And I, f- I almost feel like the Hogs helped offensive line play get notified, but I almost feel like those guys get hurt because it wasn't just looking at Joe Jacoby and like Munoz was just looked at by himself. Yep. It wasn't like he's a part of a mix. Other left tackles are looked at by themselves. The Hogs are looked at collectively and I almost feel like that does Joe Jacoby a disservice as well, where instead of looking at him as an individual, you just say the Hogs and you throw in Mark May, you throw in Bostic, you throw mm-hmm. in George Stark, Russ Grimm, when that's true. You look at offensive line as a unit, but we also need to look at Joe Jacoby as the individual and what he did. And our podcast is called Bigger Than the Game because sometimes, a lot of times, things are bigger than stats. And what's your legacy? And Jose uh, brought it up earlier. This whole six foot five, the six seven, three hundred pound left tackle—that's the norm now. But let's give credit to where it's due. Where you know we didn't see that before. He's undrafted in '81. When Joe Gibbs first saw him, he thought he was a defensive lineman. Yeah, you just didn't see that. So the fact that he is the first to pave the way for a Baselli, for a Ogden, Orlando Pace, Walter Jones, that to me is why he should be looked at. But it's also, I feel like the Hogs kind of gives him a disservice as an individual as well. I think, I, I mean, that comes up a lot across multiple sports where kind of the unit does overshadow the individual. And I, I, I do think that is the case here. It is interesting to me though, because I feel like, a lot of times that is the case, but then sometimes people just don't seem to mind that. Like there are a number of left tackle, left guard, uh, I feel like units that are in the Hall of Fame today. And like most recently, I think of like, you know, Walter Jones and uh, Steve Hutchinson both got it. I know Hutchinson went to the Vikings and did his own thing after a while, but those two I always think of. And then Willie Rolf and w- uh, Willie Shields, right? Like they, they both were on that unit getting Priest Holmes all those touchdowns. Um, they don't seem to hold it against them. Of course, Upshaw um, and Art Show, it doesn't. But here, the Hogs, I think it's that name, too. They had the nickname. Um, they had the fans in the stand. Like, I mean, I think they're the most – I don't think they're the best offensive line unit of all time. I think they're the most famous, which, again, to me at first would be like, oh, that will help everyone. But more, it's, yeah, I, I've read and, and talked to people. They're like, they should just, you know, induct the whole unit as, like, a special thing and – no, there were like the unit worked well, but Jacoby was one of the mainstays across the, the unit the whole time. And he was arguably the probably the best player at the best position on that line. Sometimes I, I do get confused why that hurts him, but I, I do think it does. And, and I, I think you're dead on there. So I do want to go to final verdict here. Um, we're going to go around. We have an extra person now. So take a little longer, but that's completely fine. I think guys, by the way, Two people, not a problem at all. This is great. So thanks for opening this up for me. This is awesome. All right. Um, two yeah, questions great. for you both, and then I'll answer at the end too. First question, you know, do you think Joe Jacoby belongs in the Hall of Fame? And then the second question is, do you think he'll actually ever get in to the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Who wants to go first? Yeah, go ahead, I, Jose. I can go. I, I'll jump in. Um, thanks, Jeremy. Um, yeah, do I think he deserves to be in? I, I 100%. I I do. I think, you know, even on this show, Jim, we we made a really strong case um, for Joe Jacoby to, to be in the Hall of Fame. And again, not only just for, not only 
like individually for his play, but again, like what that Washington de- team did for a long time, a very long time. And, you know, again, like, you know, you could be an offensive lineman and, you know, your running backs can run for a lot of yards. And, but again, like, let's start naming some of those running backs that were on Washington. I think you mentioned, you made that point, Jim, and you look at, you know, John Riggins, who had more yards in his 30s than he did in his 20s. Why is that? Because, you know, he played behind that great offensive line. You mentioned that 82, like, Super Bowl run. You know, Riggins ran, runs for 600-plus yards in the playoffs. You yeah. know, that's a, that's a great season for a lot of guys, you know. And, again, because Joe Gibbs knew exactly what the strength was for that team. And, you know, that, that Washington team averaged, like, 12 wins a season in that run. Like, it was a ridiculous number. And, you know, or 11 to 12 games, something like that. And, you know, again, it was based off of, what that offensive line was doing and in particular what Joe Jacoby was doing because again he he was the best player on that offensive line so if you look at all of that right and and you think about okay like if this unit was the most important unit on this team and possibly in the NFL in that era who was the best player in that unit and again we keep pointing at Joe Jacoby so in my mind it's like you know and, and again in our in our podcast we do we talk about this a lot it's like individual greatness but also like legacy and what you left behind. Right. And if you look at what Joe Jacoby left behind, it's, it's a lot of dominance. Right. But again, showing a lot of coaches that you could be six, five, six, 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 seven, 300 plus pounds, run the ball really well behind you and protect the quarterback. And that most important, like protecting their blind side, you know, so I 100% think he, he should be in that hall of fame. Do I think he's going to get in? I, I do not. I do not, and I don't know why I have that feeling, but I do not think he's going to get in. At this point, you know, he's not even on the ballot, you know, for the senior writer. So it's, in my opinion, I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it's looking kind of, you know, grim, not to, no pun intended there, but um, I don't know. I do not think he gets in. I'm hoping he does, but I, I, I don't think so. Well, um, for me, he definitely is a Hall of Famer. And I look at it, you know, we – talk about and I feel as a as fans not enough you hear about that Washington team Joe Gibbs won Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks absolutely that's amazing he should get more praise than he does but you look at it Joe Jacoby was a starting offensive lineman for three different Super Bowl winning quarterbacks Joe Jacoby offensive lineman for three different Super Bowl running backs like the diversity there, I mean, we look at, like, the one tackle who has more championships, Forrest Gregg, he had – Bart Starr was that standout. He had Bart Starr there. You know, a long time it was Taylor and Hornet. So you get comfortable with those guys, and they're great players. And not knocking – you know, Forrest Gregg, like you said, is an all-time great. But we're looking – Timmy Smith is a one-game wonder. Yep. I mean, we talk about one-hit wonders in music, but Timmy Smith, it's like he was there – of the world in the next year it's like who was that guy again he's you know a good answer to a trivia question now no offense to him but that's the truth and you look at that game like you mentioned earlier jim you look at the holes that that old line set up no offense to timmy smith but i think any of the three of us we would get at least 125 130 against that denver defense so like it if for everyone listening just go look at that game and how dominant the old line was especially in that second quarter so to me, we have to look at it like all these different quarterbacks that he was, you know, blocking for different styles, different abilities, different running backs, 
the only one who's a Hall of Famer for the you know the the QBs and running backs is John Riggins. Yep. So that variety that he had to go through needs to be looked at. So you know, like Jose brought up, like the cases against like the double tight ends and all that stuff. But you're looking at the guys behind Ernest Biner is not a household name. You know, uh, love in Williams. Cleveland. <laughs> in Cleveland, yeah, for a different yes, for a different different reason. But like Mark Rippon. You know, these aren't these stud quarterbacks. You know, even yeah. Jay Schrader threw for 4,000 yards in 86 behind, you know, the Hogs. So it's like, you know, Joe Theismann, not, no one you're thinking is a Hall of Famer. And Joe Jacoby was that mainstay. And not only was he the constant, a lot of times he was the glue. He's who you ran the offense through. So to me, that's why he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think he will get in. Now, this year, I don't know, only because – the Hall of Fame voting is weird. It seems like they don't like to have the same positions. And I know Joe Thomas is up this year. I think Joe Thomas is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think the best left tackle of this generation. But I do think getting into that senior mix and what I'm seeing more as a trend is um, when your people you played against are starting to talk about and praise you, that's helping these guys more. And I think you're seeing guys talk about from I've seen LT, uh, different people, even Parcells, people are promoting how great and how tough of a competitor Joe Jacoby was. So I think he will get in. I don't know if it'll be this year, but I do think eventually go, he gets into that senior mix. They will put Joe Jacoby in the hall. So if it wasn't apparent during it, I, I also think Joe Jacoby should be in. I mean, you guys, I don't need to say too much more because I think you guys covered a lot of great stuff there, but to me, it's just a few things. One, you know, his his name being on both of those all-decade teams um, where there's a lot of, like, movement other than Anthony on both of those teams. For him, he's a mainstay on both. Um, and most of those other guys, like Gary Zimmerman, are already in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, to the championships, you, I think you guys both made really good points. He was one of the mainstays on three championship teams within, you know, like a 10-year period. And as you keep saying, Washington is overlooked. Like when I think of the 80s, I do think, again, I'm a Chicago guy, but I do think of the Bears who just won one. I think of the 49ers because of Joe Montana. Like that, that's where my head goes. I should also be thinking of Washington. They, they won three. Like I, I don't. That, that's not something that commonly happens over at my house here. And I'm just being honest. But it should be when you really look at the numbers and how much they did dominate and how much the offensive line dominated and then again, if we're calling this one of the best offensive lines of all time, which I, I, I firmly believe, I think it's number three. Um, the, those other lines we brought up, the Raiders had four Hall of Famers on that line. Uh, you know, Packers had three. Having only one from the Hogs is, seems, seems wrong to me, um, especially the dominance they had for the length of time they had. And then not to have the left tackle, again, Arguably, again, some people might say Russ Grimm. I think we all kind of thought Jacoby a little more. Arguably, the best player on one of the best offensive linemen of or lines of all time is not in. That seems just silly to me. And then the icing on the cake is what we talked about in Twins. Jimbo Cover, I, I love him. He's a bear. I didn't want to say this until the end here, but I don't even think it's close of arguing Jacoby was better than him. Um, I wanted to leave that to the end, so leave a little <laughs> mystery in my answer, but. I don't think it's close. I love that Jimbo got in. I couldn't believe it, though, because the accolades say Jacoby, 
The play on the field says Jacoby. The length of time in the NFL says Jacoby. There's really nothing. I would love to hear some voters' opinions on that directly, how they went Jimbo over Jacoby, if they were even having a discussion there. Um, Because I don't really even see the resume bullet point where Jimbo surpasses Jacoby. I I really don't. So that was almost the icing on the cake when Jimbo got in. Well, if he's in, Jacoby's got to be in. But we all know that's not how the Hall of Fame works at all. If that was the case, the Baseball Hall of Fame would be screwed with the Harold Bain selection. Um, they would really just let everyone in. Now, do I think he'll ever get in? Jose, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you on this one. I, I'm afraid I, I don't. Um, and it's because, you know, now it's up again to the senior committee to get him in. Um, and there's just a huge backlog of very um, worthy cases, just as worthy or maybe even more worthy than Jacoby that are waiting their turn in that group every year really only elects one person um if that and the voting gets really muddled too because they can only vote for so many people and then the football hall of fame is by far the toughest because there's so many different positions and they all have you know unfortunately not unfortunately but unfortunately for jacoby the position players are always going to have the stats to more back up their case and you can throw out you know, the numbers there, either on the defensive side or the offensive side, where Jacoby's case, you can really only point to the same stuff time and time again. And if they didn't like that the first time around or the second time around, the third time around, unless in the future some crazy offensive line advanced stats come out and everyone's like, oh my God, look at Jacoby, how he rates out on this run blocking. Maybe it will. I mean, that happened for baseball. It got people in from back in the day that would have never gotten before because traditional numbers, you know, said they weren't a Hall of Famer. But now everyone focuses on on-base percentage. You know, this guy definitely should be in. Maybe that one day happens for Jacoby. But I don't, I don't, I don't see it. Um, maybe 50 years from now, but I don't think anytime soon. And when I ask this question, I'm, I'm more thinking, you know, next 20, 30 years. Who, who knows how long we all have on this earth? But I think Jacoby, if he ever gets in, it'll be a very, very long time from now when advanced metrics have taken over football, just like baseball and football's played a really weird way, more than maybe it even is today. So I'm going to say I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I unfortunately just don't think he will be due to the position and the backlog with the senior committee. So, cool. oh, go ahead. I just wanted to say, I think I hear you guys both do it. One reason why I say maybe is because just looking at tendencies, you know, we've seen it with like the wide receivers in the past. Like mm-hmm. they kind of now yeah, kind of coming in. They've elected like a lot of those like left tackles have gotten in. So like Willie Roth, even mm-hmm. Baselli, Ogden, Walter Jones, Orlando Pace. So we've had like a big log on and all guys deserving of tackle of left tackles in the Hall of Fame. I know, like I said, I think Joe Thomas will get in this year, but then I think we might have a little bit of a lull with that position, you know, until a few yeah. other guys maybe retire. So I think that can maybe help him where if they're not looking at left tackles who are like guys coming up for the first time or hanging around, I think that's where I think Jacoby can maybe get a little bit of an edge. If not, if he doesn't get that, then I agree with you guys. But that's how I'm looking at it. No, that, that, that's a good point, too, because after you you are right, like after Joe, like all those guys got around the same time, the Orlando Paces, the Walter Jones, Willie Ropes, all within like a three or four year period, Jonathan Ogden, all those guys. 
after Joe Thomas gets in this year, I think he has to be a lock. I think he's like an eight-time first-team All-Pro. The only other tackles, not even left tackle, I'm just thinking tackles I think of, like Willie Anderson's out there still. Um, but no one else really is. I'm sure I'm missing people, so I apologize. But he's the next one that really comes up. And you're right, there might be a little gap here before the next group comes in. So you have a good point there. Like This might be the opportunity coming up next several years where there is an opening and if someone wants to vote for a tackle, maybe, maybe Jacoby's name's coming up a little more. So I, I like that point a lot. Yeah. So that wraps up the Jacoby podcast. Uh, you know, I always laugh at this guys. I'm like, Oh, I always tell my guests whenever we're talking about O-line and I'm like, well, we're talking O-line and only so much we can say we're well over an hour, which is, uh, you know, not surprising, but it, it it means we we had plenty to talk about, which we yes. did. So before I get you out of here, um, you talked about your podcast a little bit throughout, but I definitely want to turn over to you guys and let the listeners know a little more about your podcast, where to find you all. So I'll kind of throw over to you guys a little bit. Just tell us a little more about the podcast. Um, and again, I'm, I'm excited. I'm joining next week, I believe, um, okay. to come on. So I'm excited to come on, but tell the audience a little bit about what you guys do, how often it comes out, all that good stuff. Well, our podcast is Bigger Than the Game with Jeremy and Jose. Uh, you can find us anywhere you listen to a podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google. We also have past few months started our YouTube channel, so you can find our videos on there. So, And some are different. There's some podcast episodes. There's some other special ones on there. So you go on YouTube as well, Bigger Than the Game with Jeremy and Jose. But we're a sports history podcast, and we can mix in pop culture as well, but and we love doing that too, but we like our tagline is we bring the past to the present. We connect them and we kind of just love looking at great games, great players, great coaches and breaking it down, seeing, you know, why these guys are great, why they're forgotten, how they impact the game today and why we should be talking about them and why they don't get enough praise or do they get too much praise. We look at both sides of the coin and uh, we've been doing it for the past few years and we just, you know, keep growing and keep doing our thing. Yeah, and, and, and Darren, we touched on most of it, but, you know, a lot, what some of the important things that we do, we bring up a lot of players, coaches that people don't talk about anymore, you know, that, that have been forgotten due to, you know, obviously what social media does to these current players and puts them all in the top five of all time after three years, you know, we want to make sure that got players like, like a Warren Moon, you know what I mean? We can't forget about players like that who are really great and would be possibly even better in this era of play. And again, it's not just, you know, football. We talk all sports, you know, hockey, basketball, baseball, boxing. We, we love it all. MMA, we've done episodes on. So again, like Jeremy mentioned, we are a sports history podcast. Does That does connect the past to the present. But, you know, it, it's a show that we've been doing for a couple of years. We, we love doing it. Um, and I also wanted to just say real quick, Jim, I, I love the, the theory of this show. Uh, I was telling Jeremy the other day, I was like, man, this is this is a perfect podcast, right? Who doesn't argue about Hall of Fame credentials amongst friends and things like that? People call them the base now. We call them arguments. But um, no, like, yeah, and Jeremy mentioned, you can you can also catch us on social media, uh, at on Twitter and on Instagram at Bigger Game Pod. Um, and if you have, you know, we always let our fans know, like, if you have any, you know, topics or any episode ideas, just throw them on there. And we'll definitely we'll definitely just take a look at them for sure. All right. I want to thank Deremy and Jose again for coming on. Really enjoyed talking about Jacoby. 
That is all we have today, though. So if you don't already, please subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave us a rating review. Follow us on Twitter at Pod of Fame. And we will talk to you next Monday. Have a great week.